Hey, Kelly. Hi. How are you? Good, good. It's 9 a.m. here, so. Nice. nice. And you're, where are you again? I'm on West Coast US, so I'm in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Okay, nice. All right, so let's let's introduce uh, introduce you a little bit. Um, this podcast is it was born, you know, for mostly people involved in tattooing. Right now, it's now it's it's expanding a little bit because I think there are many things that could help. Also, as uh, self-employed people with their own businesses, creatives, right? So it's spacing out a little bit, but definitely there is one thing that people that work with tattooing are involved with is painting. Right. So when I started listening to your podcast and I find a lot of value in, in, in you know, podcasts and shows and uh, content like yours, I thought many people could benefit from this. So, you know, I would like if more people could know you so that I could, uh, you know, your podcast is called Learn to Paint. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you want to tell a little bit about, you know, how it is, why it is, what made it, you know? Yeah. You know, there are a lot of great podcasts out there that talk about creativity and the business and like if you're trying to make a living as an artist you there's so much to learn and i think something that sometimes gets overlooked in all of that is the actual painting like the actual brush miles paint on paper color theory all of the like logistical nitty-gritty of learning to paint and so that's sort of where the podcast came from is Painters are incredible thinkers and thinking is an important part of painting, but it's only part of painting. Huge part of painting is the actual painting. And so the show really is about the technical, like it's a pretty technical show. It's beginner friendly, but we talk about color theory. We talk about design. We talk a ton about process. So it's an interview style show where I interview artists who are practicing artists. A lot of them are teachers. And it's, it's digging into, okay, how do you do what you do? And why do you do what you do? Why are you doing this over that? Why this technique over that technique? It's, it's really getting into the weeds of what it means to be a painter, like paint on surface painter. Yeah, and it's uh, at least for me, but I'm sure that many people might feel the same. Uh, you know, when you like something like this, you like to nerd out about it right like other stuff so i find it very myself i'm I'm particularly interested with like you know color theory and composition especially lately and i don't know apart from the intellectual activity of it of like puzzle solving you know you get an information it works it's like yeah it's kind of like puzzle solving right but then you can the cool thing is that you can put it into practice right away and it and they immediately like real quick make your paintings better that's like that's what I get out of it too is and one of the things I think is really cool about being a painter is that you can come across information every day but you might not be ready for it because with all of this stuff you have to sort of learn like you can tell me okay red plus green they're complements if you mix them it'll make gray but if I don't really understand anything about color that information doesn't necessarily do me any good yet but if i can learn the information right before it and then i hear that piece of information suddenly it's like oh my gosh this changes everything suddenly i can gray my colors down and i understand what compliments mean and but it's this thing about listening and i think that's where podcasting as a medium is really great is that you'll just be 
on your morning walk or in your studio and you hear this thing that maybe you'd heard a thousand times before, but now you're ready for it. Now you have the information that came before it so that you can use it. And I have that, that happens in every interview I do. There'll be a moment where I'll be like, oh my goodness, I had never, like I've heard this a million times, but now it makes sense. And that's the beauty and the frustration of learning. Yeah. And, you know, what I, what I like also, apart from the practical aspects, which means I can use it in my paintings, but this is something that I try to uh, communicate or, or transmit to the people when I do like uh, watercolor seminars and stuff, is the fact that it's not only something that is uh, constrained to that, it's something that makes a little bit your life better. Because when you start seeing, right, because I think that I wouldn't. I would say art, but that's a you know a, a very big term. But like painting is a, an act of seeing often, especially those dynamics between colors, composition. It's all like hidden relationships that go beyond the obvious. And then when you start noticing them, it, it kind of like adds an extra layer of interest. It's like watching a, a series with these characters that interact. You're like, oh, I perceive this color like this because the other one. You know all these. Uh, so it, it, it enrich your life somehow, right? It really does. And I think for me, that's the benefit of doing it consistently. Maybe not hours every day, but doing it just a little bit, at least just a little bit every day, because it infuses with the rest of your life. And whereas before you would find yourself thinking about like, oh, what's going on in that TV show I like, or what's going on in the news? You think, huh, that would make a great painting. Or, oh, I see the value plan in that thing I'm looking at outside of my window. It shifts your thinking into something that a lot of the artists I talk to, they really say like, it makes their lives better. Like it is fun to go out into the world, almost like on a treasure hunt of like, what can I learn from the world? That honestly makes a way better life than a lot of things you could be spending your time thinking about out in the world. There was a, a couple years ago, I decided like, okay, I'm gonna learn color. And so I think it was a summer. I just spent, anytime I remembered, I had to remind myself to do this a lot. I just looked out the window and I said, okay, those two objects, what's warmer, what's cooler? What's lighter, what's darker? How would I mix that in paint? And it gave me, that was probably when I felt like I really started to see the world as an artist. I had to set kind of a project up for myself, but it really changed everything. Because now every time I go out into the world, if I'm just like sitting somewhere kind of bored, I try not to pull out my phone, although I do. I think, okay, those two colors, how would I mix them in paint? And it's just, it's such a fun way to spend the time you have in your brain. Yeah, yeah, because like normal, so to say, things, they become more than that, right? And what I like also is like, uh, you know, at first, when you have a, a very basic knowledge of it, you you know that, oh, red plus blue, da, da, da. But when you get a little bit more into the dynamics of color theory and stuff, it's super fascinating because I was painting the other day with some friends, you know, and then, you know, my friend wanted to do like some background and I was saying, okay, to get this, mix this and this and not put some blue. And I'm like, blue? But I want to have brown. Yeah, but, you know, trust me. Okay, now put a little bit of the green. And they're like, what? Yeah, do it, you know? And then eventually found the tone. It's like, I wouldn't have thought about that. And that's, that's the beauty of, it's like alchemy, right? It's like cooking, it's like, right? I love the term alchemy because it feels like I used to think that I would hit this stage of skill 
and there would be nothing left to learn. And the thing that I really love about being a painter and existing in the world as a painter is that there's always more to learn. That when you become an artist, you unlock this sort of secret way of living where you're always going to have something to be curious about. There's, I mean, not that you don't get bored sometimes in your art practice, like that's part of it too, but you think you've learned all there is to learn about color? Nope, you haven't, just wait. There's gonna, you're gonna open a door into a room that you didn't even know was there three years ago. And it's that constantly. And it's, that's surprisingly, I think the most rewarding part of being a painter is that you keep thinking like, okay, I've developed this level of skill, that's great. And then one afternoon you open a new door and you're like, I didn't any of this existed. Yeah, oops. And sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes you think like, ah, oh, like now I have to learn all of this. And yep, that's part of it too. But sometimes you think like, ah, there are discoveries in here that were that it's going to answer a ton of the questions I've had and not been able to verbalize. The answers are in here. And that's really thrilling. Yeah, and imagine if eventually which you want, but because we're humans, but imagine if you would get to the point where you're like, I know everything. I give you two days and you go bored to death. You know, so that's a cool thing. Instead of thinking about, it's all about perception, right? So instead of thinking how much I'm missing, think about how much I've got, but also, you know, you're going to have many more haha moments, right? So imagine if you could literally learn anything, it would be the worst, right? And um, you come from third generation, you're a third generation artist, right? So your grandmother was an artist, your parents were an artist. And, and I was reading in your bio that you grew up, you know, with your parents that created uh, this uh, creative catalyst production, right? Making those videos of like workshops and stuff. So you were editing footage of great artists and learning from it. Do you want to, do you remember a little bit how I felt, how it felt in those days, being part of that? It was, it was fun. I mean, it was fun to be a part. Well, one, it was just fun to get to know your parents as sort of coworkers, that there's a parent-child dynamic that is great, but it's totally different to walk into your mom's office and talk to her as a graphic designer, that you, you appreciate parts of your parents that I think are harder to appreciate when you don't work with them. You also get frustrated with them in ways you might not get frustrated with the parent-child. But, but from the artist standpoint, at that point, I wasn't a painter. I didn't identify as painting. I wasn't interested in painting. I was there as an editor or as a marketer or as a director. But I was still really struck by the amount of thinking that went into painting. Because at that time, I still was under some of the artist myths of you're born with it or you're not. Um, it comes quickly if you have it, all those sorts of things that we have to struggle through to create an art practice. But I was just struck at how much thinking these people did and how much skill went into everything they did. That it is easy to look at a finished painting and think that that just came from nothing and exists in the world. But through watching them first plan their videos with them and then watch them film their videos and then edit those videos, you it really forced me in a way to pause and see all of the thinking and all of the skill that it took for them to paint that landscape in an hour that you think oh it took an hour it must be easy and sure for a person who is at that skill it's easy but for me starting landscapes which i started a couple years ago huh, 
totally different because I was tripping and struggling through all of that. And, but it really taught me that skill and showing up are the sometimes kind of boring things that you build to be able to effortlessly do a landscape. And it was just like, it would take me years to internalize some of that work because it took me years to then begin painting and then be painting long enough that I was struggling with fewer things. Not that I'm not still struggling with things all the time, but I'm struggling with fewer things that I think back to that time seeing those artists work. And it, it's just really great to be able to see an artist work and think and really understand that that's because of their skill. Like one artist, I interviewed him on the show, John Salmonen, he, he paints these watercolors, beautiful urban landscape scenes. And he actually doesn't teach in live workshops his urban landscape scenes or didn't at that time. And because he was like, step one to do this is to practice drawing for 40 years. Step two is to learn watercolor. And that that is hard for us to understand, especially when we're starting out, how those fundamental skills give us the freedom for later work. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned like a giant, you know, which you know. By the way, for people, because you you work more with the, uh, you know, with fine art, and um, for the people that don't know him, John Salminen, I would definitely recommend to check his work because it's mind blowing. I remember I'm, I'm subscribed to this. Uh, I remember how it's called the Art of Watercolor magazine, and then there was this article like I think last year about him, and you know, you just mesmerized. It was like how. You know how do people do that and especially because i mostly deal with watercolor and then i talk to a lot of you know younger artists and stuff like that and often you know they think that watercolor is just something basic or like the abstracting and like no you have an idea what you can do look what these people do and you're like is that watercolor it's like yes it is you know but like you say I'm, I'm 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 a big fan of draftsmanship especially when it comes to drawing i also like the intuitive part of it outsider art and that kind of stuff but I, I, I really like draftsmanship when people know how to draw and especially structural drawing where you understand really the, the three-dimensionality of things. And like you said, that one eventually brings you to the place where you can say, hmm, I'm drawing this. Instead of having to find a reference and just copy it mindlessly, I know that there is this curvature, this cross-contour lines, the line hit here, da 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 So like you said, you know, there is so much, like what people see or what we see is like the end goal of a very long journey. You know, like 20 years, you know, to make it in, in an hour. Like people are very good to make things look easy, like sport people or whatever, you know, but then you try it's like, oh, right, right. Yeah. And one of the tricky things with drawing, especially, is that because this is self-taught. So I think all artists are self-taught. I mean, some of us might go to art school, but that artist, even in art school, that person physically had to put a pencil on a surface and do the work. But also a lot of us are just truly self-taught. We didn't go to art school. We might take workshops, but it's us alone. And part of the challenge for us alone is, yeah, there's these skills we need to develop, but you can't sort of like force yourself to learn stuff you don't care about. And so one of the challenges is figuring out how you like to work so that you can develop the skills. And for me, I was painting a really long time really frustrated with my paintings for a really long time because I didn't want to learn to draw. I saw them as separate, which is so silly now, but I saw them as separate, like, I don't want to have to draw, I'm a painter. And then eventually I discovered this thing called semi-blind contour drawing. 
that allowed me to suddenly enjoy drawing. And that opened up one of those rooms, doors into a room where I was like, oh, I get it. I get how drawing helps me be a better painter. And as people who are self-taught, one of the things that is a challenge, but it's part one of the jobs we have is figuring out how we can set up ways of learning that we enjoy. And then, you know, every once in a while, like if you're a get, you know, like you don't want to learn to draw every once in a while, like try drawing again, because you might like it now or try drawing in a different way. Like I didn't want to shade an apple on a table. I thought that sounded really boring, but it turns out there's a bunch of other ways you can draw. And some of those you might find fun. Yeah. Yeah. With, with this kind of stuff, I, I have a sort of personal mantra, which I try also to communicate, uh, which is simplify and optimize. Meaning you see something that's so overwhelming and you're like, oh, I cannot draw this insane anatomy stuff. Like, no, that's too much. You need to give your brain the time to catch up. So let's start from a cylinder. You can understand that or a box even better, right? You can understand that. Then you practice, you optimize. So you become a box master. And then from there, we go to more compound volumes. And then eventually with some more knowledge, then you end up there. But it's overwhelming. I remember also me, I struggle with a lot of stuff, but I remember especially the, the, the earlier days, I was like, oh my God, this person must be magic. It must be magical. You know, it's some God-given talent. And you're like, no, you know, if you simplify, you, you break it down in smaller bits that you can shoot, right? But it's really empowering when you when you do this. Like, oh, I can do this with time, you know. And um, you have insane guests mm, on the show, right? Uh, some some people I haven't I haven't listened to them all, but obviously you go straight for your favorites, right? Which in my case is like Ian Roberts, Chris Kopinski. I love composition. Now is you know I'm so fascinated, and these people are master, right? Uh, is there? If there can be, is there any particular episode or moment or concept even, you know, uh, that come to mind right away to you that was like, that blew my mind. Even if I think you have one of these every episode, but, you know, can you remember some particular one that you like, that thing? Well, you mentioned Chris Krupinski and maybe it's because you just mentioned her, but I remember in the interview, she talks about at some point in her life, she was a graphic designer she just decided I'm going to get good at painting. And so she just said every day, I'm going to paint two hours. Like the painting doesn't have to be great. I don't have to finish, but I'm going to work through paintings. She had really clear goals. I mean, really clear parameters for how she was setting this up for herself, but it was time-based. I'm going to paint two hours a day and I'm going to figure out how that fits in my life. And it was the first time I started to think about how an art practice is built when we decide to show up, that it's not about the prettiness of the work. It's not even about selling the work. Not that that's not important, but that's separate. That to build an art practice, you choose to show up and then you figure out how that works. And it's sort of, it was inverse of how I thought it was. I thought it was, well, life just magically opens up and you have time and then you step into that time as a fully formed artist like it's silly thinking back but hearing her say like the discipline it takes to say i am showing up two hours every day and then holding to that 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 was mind-blowing that a person can do that and when you look at her work you say yeah that's what two hours over 20 years and probably more some days that's what that looks like but it put discipline in a tangible form. 
because I think we think that like people who love to paint and want to get better, they're not against hard work. Like we are hard, painters are hard workers, artists are hard workers, but there's sort of a, a distance between, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do the hard work, but then what does hard work look like? And often what hard work looks like is like staying up until 3 a.m., two weeks, you know, for two or three weeks or a month, like working really hard. That's what hard work looks like. And then you realize like, that's what burnout looks like. That's what losing your day job looks like because you show up tired. That's what yeah. losing friends and family looks like. And so to see her say, this is what discipline looks like day in and day out. It's two hours. And for you, it might not need to be two hours. Two hours is a really big chunk of time for you. It might be 20 minutes but you build an art practice by committing to an amount of time and committing to showing up and then everything else will follow and that sounds really simple two hours doesn't sound simple but 20 minutes sounds simple but then you find it's it's actually kind of hard but it's totally doable yeah you know like often people ask how much do you think how much time do you think is right for me to put you know and we're going to get to that in a second. Often you have other kind of dynamics that, that go down to, you know, self-confidence or comparison or standards that are set in your mind by blah, blah, blah. But anyway, and people ask sort of a permission, you know, to say, okay, how much time do I need to spend so that I can consider myself I'm doing okay, right? And my opinion is just an opinion is, look, I think that consistency is way more important than quantity because if you do one hour a week, and then you don't touch the thing for the week, you're gonna forget a lot of things. It's better to do like 10 minutes a day, which you can find 10 minutes if you don't have two hours, whatever you can, but every day, right? And then uh, it becomes a habit and then eventually the habit becomes you, right? So um, it, it's inspiring, you know, that kind of discipline. And another thing that, because you mentioned discipline and also I will say there is a guy that I like that I listen to, his name is Joppa Willink and he's all about discipline, he's an ex-military dude, whatever but you know, then once he said you know, discipline is not some sort of like uh, you know, monk ascetic kind of thing it's self-love emotion, meaning you know, what you want the most as opposed to what you want now, so you say okay, you know what, instead now I want to go have a beer, but in general I would really like to be an artist, so that's when the discipline comes in, right, and you say okay, you know what then I'm going to do my chunk of time, whatever that looks like. Right? So I really like that. Um, it's inspiring. Um, in terms of mindset, you know, because, because this it kind of falls into that field. Have you, um, is there something that particularly struck with you or that you've been inspired particularly or that you implement in your own practice that you say, okay, this is definitely beneficial, which of course discipline already is. But is there anything else that you, you say, okay, this can really help you? You know, I think in my personal practice, I had to separate discipline from self-criticism, that I thought that being a disciplined artist meant being really hard on yourself all the time. Like, probably had it from an 80s film where a drill sergeant is yelling at someone, that that's what discipline looks like. And it turns out it's really hard to learn if you're constantly yelling at yourself about all the skills you're lacking. Because when you start out, yeah, you have a long way to go, but that doesn't mean you can't have fun where you are. And that doesn't mean you can't do great stuff where you are. And in fact, that's important. It's really important to like, maybe not what you're doing every day, but you can't be yelling at yourself all about it. And at some point, 
I mean, this honestly is fairly recently, last couple years maybe, I suddenly made the connection that looking at what you don't like about your work will help you get better if you're doing it in a through curiosity. Like if something went wrong in your painting that day and you can get curious about why it went wrong, great, you can learn a lot. If you're yelling at yourself about the fact that it went wrong, you're going to learn very little and you might walk away for a week or two. So that's, you know, being curious, curious about what's not going well can help you develop skill. But following what you love will find your style. And when I could separate those two things that actually looking at all the things you hate about your work, whether you're being curious about it or not, that's not going to help you find your style. Looking at what you love about your work and what's going well, that may might not help you develop skills, but it will help you find your style. And that those two things work in tandem. And for a long time, I was just self-critical, wondered why I didn't have a style and wondered why I wasn't having fast skill development. And then when I sort of finally figured out like, oh, if I can be curious about what's going wrong, I'm going to develop a lot of skills. And if I can get really clear on what I like about my work, I'm going to develop a style. And not that I still don't get frustrated with my work. I absolutely get frustrated with my work all the time. But now I have like a bucket that I can put it in that's practical and helps me do something with it. Nice. It's like uh, instead of a big chaos, because that at least will also help me, instead of being just a big cloud of chaos, then at least you can put things into boxes. And it might be some of them not pleasant feelings, but at least it's like, okay, at least I know what it is, you know, and I know where to look, you know, how, like what to do to work on it. And, you know, you mentioned frustration and, and you know, yelling at yourself. And honestly, this is because I like to talk to young artists, right? And this is the thing that I hear the most on a regular basis. And when I say that it comes a lot from younger artists, it's not exclusive. You know, I work with people that have been, in my case, tattooing, but also painting. Lots of people are oil painters and stuff like that for 20, 25 years. And it's not different because it's like a, it's like a root feeling that we have, the little voice that says, you're not good enough unless you show me that, you know? And obviously social media don't help, but, you know, that's a longer discussion. But I think that this kind of thinking can really help dealing with that, which will never end, I think, that kind of frustration because, you know, it's, it's a longer road, but definitely can help at least separate the things. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, regarding your own specific process, right, your specific process, your approach to design, or you, even your like, routine, how does it look like? You know, I don't really have a set process in the set, in, in, except for the fact that I try to show up every day. I try to show up every day in some way. So there's this movement called the daily painters movement and they start and finish a painting every day. They're often small, they're fast, they're very impressionistic. I am not a daily painter. I don't necessarily finish a painting every day, but I try to show up in my studio practice in some way every day. And if I'm having a terrible week, that might be three minutes of sketching. Like the bar is very low some days and some days the bar is very high. And one of the things, this goes back to mindset a little bit, I have tried to learn that who I am as an artist is different every time I step into the studio. And so what she can do, what is her best on this day, I'm gonna try to do that, but that might be very different from day to day. 
Someday that might mean finishing a painting in a subject that is hard for me and feel great about it, even though it looks terrible. And some days that may mean everything going right and I'm just filled with insecurity and doubt. And like what she can do on a given day is different. And so first off, I try to take stock who is walking into the studio today. And then with that in mind, I try to take on a project. So I definitely am a project-based artist. I love, like we were talking about systems earlier, the more systems you can set up in your studio, I say the better. We walk into art thinking that it's chaos. It feels like chaos and that artists just walk in every day and just like pull something from their imagination and create. And it turns out artists have a lot of systems. That's probably one of my biggest takeaways from the show is that all of these artists who do the amount of work they do, they can do that because they have built systems into their art practice. And so for me, one of the systems is just like doing a check, doing a gut check of how I feel that day. And then I have kind of a couple of projects going at all times. And so I just sort of think which one feels fun for me today and what I can do. And then I try to do it. And sometimes the hardest part is getting started. Sometimes the hardest part is walking away because like I got work to do the rest of the day. You know, I do my painting in the morning. Um, but then what I actually do in the painting itself changes from day to day. I primarily work with acrylic. I'm learning watercolor. Goodness, that has given me a lot of respect for all yes. of you all who do watercolor. Um, but it really is at this point, I can look at an image. I get some of the basic lines onto a small, maybe four by four piece of Bristol paper. Um, and then I lay in color, probably start at the top and work to the bottom if I'm doing landscapes. And it's as simple as that. My goal is to get in, get out, get on to the rest of my day. I count that as a win. Is that what resonates with you the most? Because usually or often it's like, either some people prefer landscapes, either some people prefer portraits, right? Or is that what, what resonates the most with you? You know, I consider myself it's interesting i consider myself a floral painter even though i haven't really painted a flower in maybe a year i should check on instagram and look at that i love the composition that's possible with landscape i think there's something about landscapes that feeds a type of composition that i really love big shapes um you can deal with those shapes with different kinds of contrasts that landscape for me makes play and composition really, really fun. In my floral work, I haven't figured out how to do composition in a thoughtful way. So not that there aren't, there isn't composition in my floral work, but my floral work is more about shapes, which I guess is composition, but it's more about brush strokes. It's more about color. It's more about curiosity about the subject. So for me, I found that different, having different subjects gives me different things as an artist. And because I'm not, I don't sell my work. I'm not trying to build a loyal following of collectors. I really have that freedom to jump back and forth as my curiosity leads me. But yeah, different, I haven't tried portraits. Those scare me. Um, but different subjects for me are different types of play and different curiosity paths. Which I think is the best place to be. Because when you have, you know, when you have something that lead that, you know, leads your choices beyond, you know, the passion, the fun, the, you know, that kind of discovery. Uh, you add frustration and you add other motivations. So I think that's the best place to be. And, you know, you have, apart from your episodes, you know, uh, your interviews, you have also, uh, 
you know, a blog in your website where you talk about very practical things like, uh, or like even in the episodes, what is a limited palette, you know, how to adapt, you know, like very, very specific things, right? Um, what is the thing that I'm not going to say is the most important because also there is no most important and, you know, change, but what is the thing that for you is the thing that moves you the most, let's say, in, in terms of elements in a painting? What is the thing that for you? I guess, how do you mean? Talk to me more. About let's say, you know, imagine like, imagine like value, composition, uh, color, mood, uh, the emotion or the perspective or the, the drawing, you know. What is the thing that you say, you know, this either I have fun with the most, I look forward to the most, or I'm more, you know, I like to nerd about the most. What is the thing that resonates with you? So the thing that I'm really enjoying right now is shapes. So that's partially, I think, why I'm just doing landscapes all the time right now, because I can look at a landscape and be like, ooh, look at that shape. Look at that shape. I don't get into the details. I'm okay leaving a bunch of stuff out in a landscape. It can be like a swash of color for a field, a brush stroke for a tree. Like my work isn't that impressionistic, but it could be and I'd be fine that landscapes really allow me to look at shapes and then within those shapes play with contrast. And by contrast, I mean very little contrast. So when I'm talking about shapes, I guess really what I'm talking about is value. That the value is the light and dark. Like if you took out all the color in a painting, you desaturated it, you'd be left with the lights, the grays of a painting. And when two values come up next to each other, that creates a shape. Like the reason why your eye can see a tree, a dark tree against a light background is that dark next to that light creates a tree shape. And then your brain reads it as a tree shape. And in landscape often, those are very distinctive and clear values. I don't actually have to do a lot of work if the landscape reference is pretty good, or even if it's not great, the shapes are still there and I can play. But yeah, it really is. It's interesting for me to think about it. I hadn't thought about this, but it really is the, the shapes just, they just tell me that they're there and then I can go play. I have to do very little planning at this point nice. in my skill level. Um, so yeah, it's just pure play. And I can do them fast, which is also satisfying. Nice. And, and also this stuff, what I found interesting, at least for me, is that it, it changed because you change. You know, so maybe in three years now, not that you like it least, but maybe now you're really into the mood or something. And then you become more expressive. Or, and that's the beauty of it, right? Because maybe the thing, the informations are the same, but you change. So now, you know, your, your brain sink on a different element that stands out for whatever reason, you know, your life, what happens. And it's just yeah, very fascinating. I like to think about that stuff. Well, and one, um, one of yeah. the things that I gave myself, and this is the mindset, is that I gave myself permission to change. And I gave myself permission to follow where my curiosity leads. And that's different from bouncing around because I'm avoiding things. Like I think this thing that happens, especially when we're beginners, but it happens at every stage is that you'll be painting along, you'll be trying landscapes and you suddenly can't figure out something. And you think like, oh, well, I don't know how composition works here. So I'm gonna go do portraits and maybe that will help me figure it out. And the answer is it won't. It won't help you figure it out. Portraits are totally different. You learn a bunch of new stuff with portraits, but you won't actually learn the thing that you're avoiding. And so for me, curiosity, following curiosity, is it's a subtle difference, but it's different. It's saying, Ooh, I'm, I'm following this idea. What would this look like over here? 
And two things happened for me in my art practice because of that. One, sometimes you'll see like on my Instagram, I'll be doing landscapes, landscapes, landscapes. I'll do that thing where I'll be like, let's try flowers again. Let's see what this composition stuff works with flowers. I'll try three flowers and be like, nope, back to landscapes. <laughs> but the other thing it gives me permission to do is that I will paint the same landscape 10 days in a row because what I'm exploring and the curiosity I'm following is asking me to stay there. And I think we have sometimes, so a couple things are happening there. One is that by giving yourself permission to follow your curiosity and making sure it's not avoidance, again, making sure it's not avoidance, um, is that sometimes that means I stay in a place. I, I got on this daffodil kick when the daffodils bloomed here and I was painting from life and I never paint from life. And so I just painted daffodils for as long as they were coming out of the Oregon ground. Nice. And then they stopped and I stopped, but it's giving myself permission to stay someplace, sometimes for quite a while, if it's still kicking up things that I want to follow. Nice. I don't remember if it's if it was Manet or some other impressionist that would paint the same spot exactly at different times of the day for days. So you have all these different lights that change the whole mood. And it's interesting, you know, something like this is a challenge, you know, be like, okay, let's see, instead of changing subject, paint the same subject on different angles, different moods. I don't know, to explore, like you, like you said, with your, with your flowers, you know? So it's interesting. Like there are so many, this, this is what excites me. I get a lecture when I think about this stuff, the possibilities, you know, like how many ways that you could have to explore this, you know? So it's, it's super, yeah, it gets me all like real up. Um, I see that you also do uh, monthly challenges. Would you like to say a little bit, you know, what they are, what's running yeah. now? So there's a couple challenges that I run. So there's one called the 20 for 20 art challenge. And I run that a couple times a year. And the idea of that is to help people get past the block of, I have to have a huge amount of time. To, it's like, it's not even worth showing up to paint unless I have three hours to paint. Like. You're going to spend your entire life waiting to paint. I spent a lot of years waiting to paint because I thought that. So the 20 for 20 challenge runs a couple times a year. Uh, a group of people commit to painting for or drawing at least 20 minutes a day for 20 days. And that happens, yeah, about three times a year. And then once a month, I run a Patreon group, uh, patreon.com slash learn to paint podcast, where every month we do what we call mini sprint challenges. And it's taking a really specific concept and saying for seven days, we're gonna really focus on this thing. So right now, uh, June 1st through 7th, it's called the one brush challenge. And people can absolutely do this at home too, even if you're not part of the Patreon, um, is you, know, you commit to one brush and you say, I'm using this one brush for seven days to paint seven different small paintings. What can I learn? Because at some point during that, you're going to be like, I hate this brush. But you're like, nope, I'm staying with it because I'm going to learn what there is to learn. And when we do that, we push through whatever pushback is telling us like, oh, go get a different brush. Go to the art store. Find seven different brushes. Maybe that will fix the problems. Like, no, you stick with this brush seven days. We can all afford seven days. Let's see what we can learn. And that's what these mini sprint challenges are. There's one a month during the months that the 20 for 20 isn't running. And it really is one, it's a way to help you get started again. If you've sort of fallen off 
the art horse, which I totally had. So I'm really glad this one's starting today. Um, but it also helps you get curious about one thing and try to get, you know, push out all the variables and just focus on this one thing to see how you like it, how you don't like it, how it affects the other variables in your painting process. That when, when, when we can get really clear and focused on one thing, we can learn a lot really quickly that way. And the reason why they're just a week long is because, you know, sometimes we don't wanna commit six months to learning what one brush does. You, you might come out of the one brush challenge being like, you know what, maybe I only need this one brush, but it gives it, a small amount of time where we can get really focused and hopefully have a bunch of accelerated learning through that. Like clearly I'm a, I'm a real big proponent of setting up projects as part of your, of your learning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that can give you, you know, apart from motivation, can give you a goal, uh, can give you a goal and goal is direction. So then instead of being lost of, okay, this is hard. And I also have to think what to do. This is always, I also recommend this a lot when you get stressed about what to paint because a lot of people are like, what can I paint? It's like, just come up with some sort of challenge or some sort of direction. Then you can say, you know what? My thing is this subject or this technique or this palette also, you know, sometimes like do monochromatic for a month or whatever, you know? But I think it makes it easier because you show up and like, oh, I know what to do already. I just got to do it, right? And um, is there any, any advice that you would give, I would say, you know, to beginners, but it would be a little limiting. I think anybody can benefit from those at any stage. So is there any advice that you would feel like giving? Yeah, I think there's two main things that have really changed my art practice. And one is limiting your materials. That I think there's this idea that materials are wonderful and they offer all of this potential. And especially when we're first starting out, but even when we've been doing it for a while, it's hard to understand how much we add when we add a new anything. That your entire interaction with everything you do changes if you change your brush. That's what I was really surprised. So for the, the one brush challenge, I went through and did it myself just to make sure I wasn't setting people up for disaster. But I used a huge brush and a tiny space and boy, my color mixing got way worse. This thing that I'm pretty confident in suddenly got way worse because my brain was trying to figure out how to make a tree with a three inch brush and it didn't know how. And so it just booted out all of the color mixing knowledge that I had accrued over the past however many years. And, and I don't, and that's one of the things I love about really focusing on one material or one concept at a time. You can see how it messes. Like when you're trying something new, you can see how it's messing with all of the things you thought you knew. And so when we can really simplify our materials, uh, you mentioned earlier that a lot of the guests talk about a limited palette. That's one red. I mean, if you really limit it, that's one red, one blue, one yellow, maybe a white, depending on your medium, um, maybe a dark. That, that can seem like, well, how am I going to mix color? That sounds boring. Like the amount of freedom that you're going to get after you push through some initial awkward learningness, learningness, learning, you're going to find, you're going to love that. You're going to feel, you're going to be able to mix expressive color. You're going to be able to try to do things that you couldn't do before because you were trying to figure out how your 17 reds work with your 17 blues. Yeah. And I think the other thing that for me, really made a big difference. And 
you know, you mentioned the difference between showing up a little bit each day versus showing up once for like three hours and then showing up a week and a half later for another three hours is that there are two ways that I think artists can approach their practice and there's no better or worse. It's just different. One is an inspiration based art practice and one is a habit based art practice and an inspiration based art practice is when you think, you know what? I feel like painting today. Oh, and this reference photo I saw online really sparks my interest. I'm going to paint it. How great. I spent all day painting. That's amazing. And then you don't have any inspiration the next day, so you don't show up and paint. You don't have any inspiration the next day, you don't show up and paint. And so you let inspiration be your guide of when and what you show up to paint. A habit-based art practice is I'm going to show up every day to paint. I'll figure out the what. But I, it's the Chris Kruprinski. It's the daily painters. It's people who commit to the habit and then figure out the rest to match. And when I started to really understand the difference of those and the benefits for me of the habit-based art practice, that's another reason why I like these challenges is that the goal is not a pretty painting. The goal is to figure out how your one brush works. Like that's the goal. The pretty painting, great. If you get it, great, but it's not the important part. The important part is, did you show up today? And when I, or when anyone, like people in the 20 for 20 challenge, I see them make this shift. Like one, I didn't know the amount I could get done in 20 minutes. And also I didn't realize how good it would feel to show up every day and base my sense of accomplishment on the showing up, on the habit, that suddenly all these things open up for you that weren't possible before because you have committed to the habit and aren't at the whim of inspiration, which man, inspiration feels great, but it is unpredictable. It's very moody. It's super moody and it and all of these things in life affect it. But if you can switch, when I could switch and when I see other people switch to the habit-based art practice, then suddenly a world of possibility opens up to them that just wasn't available if you're in an inspiration-based art practice. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing is, Everything you do in any field, when is the time that is going to be the hardest? The first. The first time is going to be the hardest. The second is a little better and just get better. Not that it becomes easier, but it doesn't become so frightening, right? Are you familiar with the, the book by James Clear, Atomic Habits? It's it good. should it's be good, like huh? the artist Bible, honestly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so good. Kelly, this, I, I, I feel like that, that I still have, to ask a million questions but maybe at some point we might do a follow-up or something because you use so full of knowledge and you know it also you know it's very inspiring thank you so much for for this uh, for making the time where can people find you find the podcast support you with a patreon and all that stuff yeah if you want to listen to the podcast it's it's www.learntopaintpodcast.com instagram at learn to paint podcast and if you want to see the projects that i'm constantly setting up i'm on instagram at kelly ann powers um, and if you want to join the Patreon, I mean, listen to the podcast, see if that's right for you. But um, Patreon is patreon.com slash learn to paint podcast. And we do monthly challenges. They're a week long. We get really focused and we laugh about what doesn't work and we learn a ton. And it's nice because it's a, it has a sense of community, which I think often is what is the best thing. It's not just, oh, I get this video. It's like it's, you're part of something and people like you like mind. And so I think that's the best. Kelly, thank you so much. It was dope. I loved it.
thank you so much. This has been really fun. And awesome. I mean, talking to artists about art is like one of the true joys that we get to mm -hmm. experience as artists. And I just really appreciate this. So thank you. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, because we share the passion. So amazing. Kelly, have a great day. And then we'll be in touch with this stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.